1: Welcome to Varsity Videos, brought to you by the OHIO Podcast. Here at Varsity Videos, we review and rank sports films from the Super Bowl to the Toilet Bowl. I am your host, Chris Wilds, a self-proclaimed popcorn expert and a podcaster. And I'm joined today by my co-host, Eric Boggs. Eric, how are you today?
2: I'm fantastic, Chris. Thank you for asking. Ready to continue on with these first round matchups we're getting down to the home stretch of the first round so we've got some good ones we got some uh sleepers here
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely and i'll tell you nothing's better on, on, on these dreary ohio spring more or afternoons than sitting down watching a movie because i don't know about you but i don't like to play in the rain so
2: <laughs> me neither
1: so, Eric, uh, before we get started on our, our matchups, let's talk about a little movie news. What have you got for us today?
2: Yeah, so interestingly enough, one of the movies that we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes is Secretariat, and I found a movie that is going to be released on DVD. In fact, it may have already just been released on DVD called Jockey. It is a 2021 American drama film written by Greg Quooter and Clint B- Bentley. Um, who was also the director. The film stars Clifton Collins Jr., Molly Parker, and uh, Moises Arias. The film had its world premiere at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival on January 31st of 2021. It is about the health of a horse rider named Jackson Silva, who begins to deteriorate after decades of work with the help of a promising new horse and his trainer, Ruth. Jackson prepares for the upcoming championship, which could be his last, um, do yourself a favor, watch the trailer. It's called jockey. And some of the action in this looks amazing. Um, again, I'm not a huge horse person, uh, but I love sport in general. And when I, I saw this, I thought, we've got to talk about this. and. That's the, the movie that we've not seen. Now, uh, I recently just watched one of the movies we talked about in our movie news, that being um, American Underdog, the yes. Kurt Warner story. Have you seen it?
1: I just went out and purchased the movie. I have not watched it yet.
2: Um, Amazing with a capital A. Loved it. Wonderful. It is a phenomenal Um family film and the, the actor they got to play Kurt Warner killed it. Absolutely killed it. Of course, Dennis Quaid is in it and he does a great job as well. I love the movie. My wife loved the movie. Um, I love how they put some of the real, um, you can, you actually, they actually have some of the real super bowl of Kurt Warner in it, in the movie. It's phenomenal, Chris. You're going to love it. So I wanted to touch base on that one as well. So that was another – that was one of the movies we had talked about in the past, and I thought it was great. We might be doing a review of that one soon.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to know it was money well spent there, uh, me going out and buying that. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to check out Jockey. I mean, you say you're not a big fan of the horses. I've been known to enjoy a a day at the track a time or two. uh, Really? so oh yes, oh yes i uh I rather enjoy uh playing the ponies a little bit, so uh <laughs> you know for me, this might be a absolutely wonderful movie, so
2: you'll have to take me some time i would I would enjoy that,
1: oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, oh, that'd be a great time, <laughs> <laughs> so Eric, uh let's go ahead and let's jump in. We have four great matchups uh this week, uh so let's dive right into them. Why don't you get us started?
2: Sure. Uh, Let's go ahead and let's start off with um, our eight nine matchup, shall we? In the Olympic bracket, let's go to the Olympic bracket where we had number eight Blades of Glory taking on number nine Without Limits. Now, Blades of Glory, two thousand and (laughs) seven. It's a comedy. You got you got Will Ferrell in there. Uh, You got John Heater, who I love, by the way. you, you yes. could probably you could probably guess who what's my John Hader's favorite movie? Do you know? Could you could you take a stab at it?
1: Well, there could be a couple. Uh,
2: a lot of people love Napoleon Dynamite. That's it, man. I yeah. love Napoleon Dynamite. You got William uh, Fitchner in this thing, Jenna Fisher's in this. It's got it's got Craig Nielsen. It's got a lot of star power. It it's very funny. Good movie. Uh, A little bit on the raunchy side is PG-13. That's going up against uh, a movie I'd never seen before from 1998, Without Limits, uh, starring Billy Crudup. Um, It's got Donald Sutherland in it, who's just iconic. That's an iconic actor right there, Donald Sutherland. Monica Potter's in this. Uh, Matthew Lillard is in this before he was in the movie Scream, of course. So uh, he's in there as well. Um, Without Limits, interesting, interesting film as well. Um, This one is about, of course, the life of renowned runner Steve uh, Prefontaine and his relationship with legendary coach Bill Bowerman from Oregon. So uh, which one of these films are you going to go with and why? And what did you think Without Limits? Was that new for you as well?
1: It was um you know, I I thought there were some good performances. Uh you know, it was it was actually surprising to me. I did not think that it was gonna be as good as it was. But you know what? I I can't pass up a great comedy. I really can't. Uh I'm gonna go with Blades of Glory here. Um, you know, at times I, I will diss Will Ferrell a little bit on some of his movies, but you know, I think I love this one. I love John Heater. Um Yeah. And some of the things they do in that movie are just completely over the top, Eric. Like <laughs> they, they are. But I'll tell you what, I, I enjoyed the movie. It's one uh you know, I just watched again recently. It's not something that comes out of my closet, you know, every week. It's not a go to type movie if I'm bored or whatever. But it's one that I enjoy watching every now and then. So I went with it uh today.
2: Yeah, I'm going with Blades of Glory as well, and so did all of you listeners. 21 to two was the vote for Blades of Glory over Without Limits, which means the number eight-seeded Olympic film moves on to take on the number one seed I Tanya. That'll be a very interesting second round matchup for I Tanya because Blades of Glory definitely has a little bit more of a uh, well-known, I would say, audience. I Tanya is kind of new, so. Uh, we'll see how that one uh, works for everybody. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the family friendly. Uh, actually, let's save that for last. Let's move on to sequel bracket. How about that one? So let's go to the Very sequel good. and remake bracket. Number four, D2 Mighty Ducks going up against the number 13th seed Angels in the infield. And that is not a mistake. Angels in the infield as opposed to angels in the outfield. That's why it's in the remake or sequel bracket. Of course, D2 is uh, Ken Gordon's team wins the Junior Goodwill Games in California. In spite of all the setbacks, it's the continuation of Mighty Ducks. Now they're Team USA, if you will. Uh, Emilio Estevez uh, reprises his role as Gordon Bombay. Uh, You got Catherine Erb as Michelle. Michael Tucker as Tibbles. Uh, and of course, all the all the kids of, of the amazing cast of uh, D2 are back as well as with some new guys as well. This is going up against Angels in the Infield, which is a group of angels try to help a baseball team win a championship game while at the same time helping to reunite the team's pitchers family. Uh, this one's got uh, Patrick uh, Warburton as Eddie Steady Evert, Britt Irvin as Laurel Evert. And uh, Dwayne Davis, he, we should know him. He's in he's in several sports films. Uh, he's Randy Fleck, and then David Allen Greer, which uh, is a well-known actor. He plays Bob Bugler in this uh, film as well. It's cute. It's it's cute, but uh, I, I got to be honest with you, it doesn't hold a candle in the wind to d the Mighty Ducks for me.
1: No, absolutely not. I'm 100% on board with you here, Eric. Uh, Mighty Ducks and. and We'd spoke a little bit about this uh, before we started recording. And, you know, there is an argument to be made that D2 may be even better than the original. Uh, I I agree 100% D2 for me.
2: So D2, the Mighty Ducks, will move on uh, with your vote in mind. And uh, we agree with all of you, the listeners, as well. 39 to 2, the Mighty Ducks took that one. That means the Mighty Ducks will go on to take Major League 2. Ooh. A four versus five in the second round. Mighty Ducks against Major League Two. That's going to be a tough one, Chris. Ouch. Man. Yeah. I I don't know which way I'll go in that one. That's interesting. All right. Let's talk about the one that I find to be the most intriguing matchup in the first round. In the entire tournament, shall we? Let's go to the best of the rest bracket where number two, The Wrestler, took on number 15, Radio. Let's talk about The Wrestler first. 2008, rated R. It stars Mickey Rorick as Randy the Ram Robinson, uh, the beautiful Marissa Tomei as Cassidy. Um, it's basically about those two, if you will. There's There's some others in this film as well. Uh, you actually have um, a couple wrestlers who are in this as well um, who, who who take on the roles of different wrestlers. But uh, this is about a fading professional wrestler who must retire but finds his quest for a new life outside the ring, a uh, desperating struggle, if you will. And this is going up against radio from 2003. It's the story of a high school coach and a developmentally challenged man who he took under his wing. It stars Cuban Gooding Jr. as Radio, Ed Harris as Coach Jones, um, the amazing actress uh, S. Epitha Murchison as Maggie. I thought she did a fantastic job, as well as Alfred Woodard, who was Principal Daniels. What a great principal. Uh, Deborah Winger as Linda. Um, Just a great cast. Chris Mulkey as Frank, a great antagonist in the film. I got to be honest with you, Radio hits me in all the right spots. Now what's crazy about this is on Flickchart Radio it totally gets dissed. It is fifth it is ranked 15th in the best of the rest bracket, which I have no idea how it got late, ranked that low. The Wrestler's number 2. The Wrestler is a fantastic film, but to me, Chris, Radio is one of the best sports movies ever made seriously
1: oh yeah yeah the performances by specifically Ed Harris and Cuba Gooding Jr phenomenal not that they aren't always on the money in everything they're in but wow I I mean it, it is it is a movie that that hits like you said it hits really close for me and but up against the this should be a a semi-final matchup. Yes, it really it should. should be because the wrestler, I think i truly believe is, is Mickey Rourke's best movie. I agree. And I mean, I, I, I'm kind of curious. I wonder if we took the cast of the two movies and added up the Academy awards that were involved. <laughs> I mean, because both were just tremendous. Uh, and i I am a big I am a big wrestling fan uh you know and, and I can kind of imagine that it's not actually a documentary or a biopic, but man, you can almost picture these guys when they're getting ready to hang it up, going through what this guy went through
2: mhm, mhm uh, I've been told it's basically the life of Jake the Snake Roberts is what the movie is almost based off
1: of and I could see that I really could. Uh, I'll tell you, it, it's tough, Eric. I, I almost want to make the radio the peacocks of this, uh, this tournament.
2: <laughs> I am. I'm picking. I radio. Am. I'm going to. All right. Well, Chris, i tell you, it would, it would have taken both you and I to go wrestler for this to win because the, the listeners went 27 to five in the voting for the radio. So radio a number 15 seed. I don't remember if we had a 15 seed win last year. Uh, this might be the biggest upset as far as seeding is concerned that we've ever had in the in in the tournament in the last two years. But I got to tell you, I don't know that it's really an upset.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I, I'm with you, Eric. I mean, this by all rights to me, it, it was just bad seeding because this should have been a semifinal.
2: Yeah. So the radio will go on now to take on for the love of the game in the second round. Ooh, man, that's that's two powerhouse movies right there. Yeah, that's 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 tough. That's tough right there. So there you go, man. Ra- radio takes it. All right, here we go. Our last last one for the night, family friendly bracket, number seven Secretariat against number ten The Express. Wow. This is going to be another tough one, guys. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I had not. i had seen The Express one time before. It was like a year ago. In fact, we had, I'd watched it at the end of last summer after we had done our 64 bracket. And I'm like, OK, I've got to watch The Express. And I watched it and I thought it's OK. And then I went back and I rewatched it again this past week. And it's a very, very good film. Secretariat, I also had not seen. That one, I was shocked. I was absolutely floored how good that movie was. This is this is one of those where I could be swayed. Either way, before I give my vote, I'm gonna let I'm gonna hear your two cents on these films, Chris.
1: Okay, well, you know, I love Secretariat. I think Toby McGuire gives a tremendous performance in that film. Um the Express was one like you. I, I had, I've more recently watched it than you have, but I had to rewatch it again. Uh, I did so, you know, today prior to recording, and wow, it, it just it hits. It's a movie that I think came out in the wrong time. I think if The Express is released today it does much better than it did being released when it was.
2: Mm-hmm. I'd uh, I can see
1: that. I do. Just given the the recent racial tensions and climate in this country, I, I could see it performing a lot better than it did. Um, I will say this. I thought at times The Express dragged a little bit.
2: Um, I can say the same about Secretariat at that I, point I, said, but I can say the
1: same about Secretariat. You know, Eric, I, I love Secretariat. I, I think I'm actually going to go with The Express here.
2: Okay. I think I'm going to go the other direction. I just was so surprised by how much I enjoyed Secretariat I think if you had to – if you set both these movies down in front of me today and say you have to choose one to watch this evening, I think I'm going to choose Secretariat today.
1: Can, can I sh- tell you what did it for me, though? Sure. What did it for me, and even though it wasn't a tremendous part as far as the amount of time on screen, I think for me Charles S. Dutton tipped the scales. Okay.
2: All right, so that means the 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 fans are going to determine this one. All right, so we we go different directions. Chris, have you seen the totals on this on these two? I have not. This is the closest vote we've ever had. By a score of 13 to 12. By one vote. Secretariat won. Wow. This was probably the closest I, I've ever seen.
1: I can't be mad. Like I said, they were both tremendous movies. I can't be mad.
2: Yeah, so Secretary will move on to play the winner of number two, Heaven Can Wait, and number 15, The Tooth Fairy. So that will be interesting how the fans vote on that one. Um, there you have it. So there's our four, which means we have uh, at least – well – We have four movies to add to FlickChart today, but we're going to add three of them, and you'll find out here in a minute. So um, out between Angels in the Infield, Without Limits, and The Wrestler, which one do you want to add to our FlickChart first, Chris?
1: Uh, Let's go with Angels in the Infield. I don't think it's going to last as long. (laughs)
2: Okay. (laughs) From 2000, Angels in the Infield. By the way, this this movie has a no rating, by the way, so – I'm not sure what that means. All right. Uh, Angels in the infield from 2000 against from 2011. Warrior, Chris.
1: Oh, warrior by far.
2: Two votes for warrior easily. All right. Angels in the infield against from 2014. When the game stands tall. Give me the when the game stands tall.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with you on that one as well, Eric. All
2: right. Uh, Angels in the infield from 2000 against Space Jam. A new legacy 2021.
1: You know, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the Space Jam uh, movies, but I'm going to take it here.
2: I am as well. (laughs) It almost pained me to say that. Angels in the infield from 2000 up against from 1988 Caddyshack 2. Could we actually pick Caddyshack 2 to win two weeks in a row here? I think it's going to happen, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. All right. Oh, my gosh. Angels in the infield from 2000 against Personal Best from 1982. I think Angels in the infield wins here.
1: Yep. I'm going to give that one to Angels in the infield.
2: There you go. Angels in the infield against Like Mike from 2002.
1: Angels in the infield.
2: I agree. All right. Angels in the infield against Peaceful Warrior from 2006. I think I might take Peaceful Warrior here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, too. That's
2: So we agreed the whole way through there. Angels in the infield now rank number 94 out of 98. (laughs) There you go. All right. Next up, do you want to go with Without Limits or The Wrestler?
1: Uh, Let's do Without Limits here.
2: Without Limits from 1998. All right, here we go. Adding it to the Varsity Videos flick chart. And first up from 1977, it's going to go up against Slapshot and get dominated by Slapshot for me.
1: Oh, absolutely. Slapshot's one of the the best movies ever.
2: Without Limits up against Major League Two from 1994.
1: I'm going to take Major League Two here.
2: I am as well. Without Limits from 1998 against from 2004, Mr. 3000.
1: You know, I think I may take Without Limits on that one.
2: Thank you. I was about ready to say we're going to have to flip here. All right. Without Limits against Little Big League from 1994. I think I like Little Big League.
1: I like Little Big League here.
2: Without Limits against the original Space Jam from 1996.
1: I'm going to go with Without Limits,
2: Eric. I'm going to agree with you, I believe. Yes. All right. Without Limits against, from 1997, the sixth man. I'm, gonna
1: go I'm with, going to go with – I, I think we're going to finally disagree. Okay. I'm going to take Without Limits.
2: All right. There we go. You want heads or tails this week?
1: Oh, right. Let's do uh, heads.
2: Bad choice. It's tails, Chris.
1: Oh, come on, I choose the, sales
2: every week. I know, the sixth man wins, and Without Limits is now number 84 out of 99, which means The Wrestler is next. Not to can be confused with the other wrestler movie from 1974 that is dead last, I think, on our list here, if I'm not mistaken. Here we go. The Wrestler from 2008 is going up against Slapshot from 1977. Give me The Wrestler.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Oh, boy. The wrestler from 2008 now has to take on Rocky II from 1979.
1: Uh, I can't go against Rocky.
2: No, Rocky II for me. The wrestler against the original, the Mighty Ducks from 1992. I think I'm going to go wrestler.
1: I think I'm going to agree with you here, but it's, it's closer than you might think.
2: The wrestler against the blind side from two thousand and nine. Ooh.
1: I'm gonna go to the wrestler here.
2: I think I'm gonna agree with you. All right. From two from nineteen ninety two, the wrestlers going up now against a league of their own.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. Wrestler's awfully good. I'm gonna take the wrestler here. It's going to pain me to do it, but I'm going to agree with you, Eric.
2: Okay. All right. The wrestler against, from 2002, The Rookie. Again, I think I might take wrestler.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to as well.
2: The wrestler now goes up against the classic from 1942, The Pride of the Yankees.
1: I'm going The Wrestler.
2: I am as well. The wrestler climbs all the way up to number 26. 26th on our flick chart. Congratulations to the wrestler. That from a, a a movie that lost in the first round. Hmm. There you have it. All right. So there's the three that we're going to add. We'll add the other one here in just a minute. And that's because Chris, take it away.
1: Okay. Well, we are going to talk about the Express today. September of 2008, so it didn't do real well at the box office, Eric. It only did a box office of 9.8 million on a budget of 40 million dollars. Ouch. Yeah, brutal. Uh, it was written by Charles Levitt, directed by Gary Fletter produced by John Davis. It was distributed originally by Universal Pictures. The music, which I really enjoyed, the score in this film. Uh, the music was done by Mark Isham. Main actors, we had Rob Brown playing Ernie Davis. We had Dennis Quaid, because it's a sports movie. We had Dennis Quaid playing Coach <laughs> Ben Schwartzwalter. There we go. Uh, Charles S. Dutton plays Pops Davis. Omar Benson Miller plays JB, Jack Buck- Buckley. Darren DeWitt Henson plays Jim Brown. We have Nelson Ellis as Will Davis, Nicole Bahari as Sarah, and Clancy Brown as Coach Roy Simmons. Currently, Eric, the Flickchart stats are as follows. Globally, it has a ranking of 10,865. It does win about 42% of its matchups. It's only been ranked by 310 users. It's also only been ranked 5604 four times. One person does have it in their top 20. No one has it at number one. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on those rankings?
2: A little bit surprised by that. I'm not going to lie. A little, little bit surprised by that. Um, it's a film that... I agreed with your sentiment from earlier. If this film is made today, it does a much better draw than what it did then. Um, I believe the film, if they remade it, they could they could probably make the football action possibly a little better. Um, I also think that there might be some disdain for this film and what they did in the was it the Sugar Bowl? I think it was. Yes, in the Cotton Bowl. Cotton, cotton Bowl. Then the Cotton Bowl. Um, I, I've did did some digging in and reading, and apparently how they portrayed some of the action that took place, um, on the field with Texas against Syracuse is not accurate. They they took some liberties there. Now there was definitely some racial tension during that during that bowl game. No one is denying that, and they are they're not denying that there was some things said. But, like, the all-out brawl and and punching and things was completely exaggerated in the film is what I've been told. Okay. So that could be interesting. I, and I don't mean to get ahead of it, but I do feel like maybe – and I also know that the flick chart numbers can be deceiving as well because I just don't know that the people who use flick chart are as big as sports fans as you and I are.
1: Oh, absolutely. Right.
2: So there's that to, to attend to as well. So – <laughs> I again, I like the film, but to me it sits a little heavy, um, especially sitting in our family-friendly bracket. I thought that was a, a little bit surprising that it only had a PG rating, not because if there's gross sexual misconduct or uh, you know a lot of swear words, but just the racial uh,
1: the undertones,
2: undertones yeah. of it are, are a little bit heavy to be a family-friendly PG movie in my opinion. So. Those are my two thoughts, but I'd like to hear what you think about the film as you dive into the first third, and maybe that'll spur some things on them from my memory after watching it a couple days ago that I might want to discuss.
1: Okay. So just a quick synopsis of the movie. Uh, born into poverty, Ernie Davis overcomes many obstacles to get into Syracuse University's football program under the guidance of Coach Ben Schwartz. Boy, I'm just going to call him Coach Ben, because I'll tell you what, that name's a mouthful. (laughs) Ben becomes one of the school's best players, even surpassing the achievements of Jim Brown. In 1961, well, you know, we'll we'll come up on 61. I'm not going to talk about 61 yet. So I'm going to go ahead and dive into the movie itself. In the opening scene, we open up on the Cotton Bowl, as you mentioned. Texas is playing Syracuse, and a fight breaks out due to the existing racial tensions. We only see a little snippet of it right there at the beginning of the movie. We then flash back to 1949 in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, where we find young Ernie Davis and his cousin Will walking the railroad tracks, collecting bottles, trying to you know make a little bit of cash. As the boys walk the tracks, they make the mistake of crossing into the wrong area of town. They're surrounded by a group of racist kids who are basically, without coming out and threatening them, they're threatening them. Will you know, jumps on a train, gets out of town. Uh, Ernie stands his ground. The boys said if, they, if he gave up the bottles, he could walk away. Ernie refuses and instead outruns the boys to get back to his side of town safely. So after the incident, the boys return home to family dinner where we get introduced to Ernie's family. This includes his grandfather, Pops. Pops, uh, you know, is a pivotal figure in the life of the boys. He helps Ernie, who's struggling to get through a Bible verse at dinner. Uh, We also see him take the boys out the next day. They stop in front of a store and they're watching Jackie Robinson playing for the Dodgers. And they're just amazed that a young African-American player is playing for the Dodgers. Instantly at that point, it seems Robinson becomes Ernie's idol. He even goes as far as cutting out a newspaper photo and hanging it on his wall. Well, the following day after school, we meet Ernie's mother. She informs the family, hey, I've remarried to a really great guy. I'm in a position to take Ernie home to live with me now. She takes Ernie to Elmira, New York. Now, Ernie seems hesitant about all this, but he peps up on the trip to Elmira as he sees the small fry football tryouts on his way home. So we jump forward to September 51, and young Ernie's trying out for Wee football, and all the white players are handed their new jerseys. The black players are still forced to just play in their T-shirts, but Eric, don't worry. People will know who they are.
2: Yeah, terrible. That's what the
1: coach says says to them.
2: Ridiculous.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, But, of course, Ernie ignores this and just excels and becomes the best player on the field despite playing in in his T-shirt. And a local reporter starts asking mom about Ernie. So we cut away from this. And next thing you know, we're at a Syracuse University practice field. And Jim Brown is being introduced as a Cleveland Brown by Art Modell. The press is asking Brown about his season, you know, talking about his great numbers. Brown, not so subtly, airs his displeasure at not winning the Heisman Trophy. And he just wants to make sure we all know that no African-American player has ever won the award. So. We move on to the next day, and the coaches are all trying to figure out how do we replace Jim Brown. So they're showing, you know, footage in the in the the coaches room there, and they're showing all of these different players who are either injured or lazy or uh, what what my you know whatever you might think about them. And the coach asks about. Ernie Davis, or as he calls him, the kid from Elmira. He sees the tape; instantly, wants him as he reminds him of Jim Brown. Coach of Lis Browns helped even recruit Davis. He goes to to Jim Brown and says, "Listen, you know, kind kind of says you owe this to me because the Browns wouldn't even know who you are without me." Of course, Brown says, no, everything I did, I did. And he says, what good is it do if you don't give back and try to help this kid get, get his, so to speak? So they go, they watch Davis play. Brown is impressed by his play. After the game, they meet Ernie and end up going to the Davis house for dinner. And Pops is just kind of grilling the coach, asking Jim Brown his... His thoughts of Syracuse, and you know, Brown tries to sugarcoat it a little bit, but you know, Pop Pop, see, he sees right through this, uh, you know. And after dinner, Ernie and Jim got to go work out, play a little lacrosse, and Pops and Coach are having a bit of a heart-to-heart. While well, at the same time, Jim starts having a deep conversation with Ernie, Ernie about what you know the racial climate really is, and he tells him how hard it's going to be, but he also says. Hey, this guy's a great coach. He will make you better. So, Eric, that's kind of the first third of the movie for me, as we kind of get the backstory introduced to the characters. What are your initial thoughts on the storyline and the character development at this point?
2: So, I think one of the characters that I really enjoyed, and quite frankly, I wish he was in the movie more, was uh, Jim Brown, uh, played by Darren Dewitt yes. Henson. I thought he did a fantastic Jim Brown. I thought he captured the attitude and the um, the persona that is Jim Brown that we know so well here in Ohio, and that obviously you, as a Cleveland Browns fan, uh, you know uh, personally, you know uh, just the, how much this guy has positively influenced not only that organization, but culturally uh, people in this state and been in Northeast Ohio. Um, I would have loved to have seen more of that. Obviously this movie was not about Jim Brown. It was about Ernie Davis, but I, I loved that aspect of the movie. I thought to me that conversation and then how later in the movie that conversation is done again, but on different, a different plane is so awesome. Love that. That to me is the some of the some of the good writing that took place in the script. If you if you catch my drift, I I love it when when things are tied up in a bow really nicely. And and I love how that that opening sequence between Brown and Davis is later done again, also by Coach Man yes. in, in that film. So to me, that that was the opening part of the movie I really enjoyed. I also loved it when they were kids. And the young Ernie, played by Justin Martin, it, it kind of shows, hey, I'm going to be a stud athlete. Look what I can do with a bunch of cans on a bag, and I can still outrun all these, all these older white boys. I thought that was a lot of, a lot of fun too. That,
1: those oh, weren't and, even cans, Eric. Those were glass bottles.
2: Glass bottles, bottles yeah, glass bottles. That, right? that's different era. <laughs> right. Yeah, I also I, really love Clancy Brown as Roy Simmons. Yes. As right, the assistant coach. Uh, I thought he did a fantastic job in that, in this movie. And of course, I think you're going to talk about one of my other favorite characters here, but, uh, Omar Benson Miller's character, Jack Buckley here soon. I thought he played a very good, uh, additional role to, to bring along some of the storylines outside of what was taking place on the ball field.
1: Yeah. And for me, you're right. I think we could have used more Jim Brown. Uh, I think we could have used more, uh, Charles S. Dutton, uh, his character of Pops, in there as well. And let me tell you, I, I, they were t- like you said, they took some liberties with the actual factual base of this. It seems like we could have taken a little more liberties, even if this is, these are the only encounters that they had. I feel like we could have had more, more of them. So uh, yeah, but so we we jump to the second part of the movie, which. Definitely is is the bulk of the movie, uh, and that is Ernie's time at Syracuse. Um, we see Ernie arrive at Syracuse, where he's met by the athletic director. The AD is planning to keep, take him on a campus tour, but they get stopped. AD gets caught up in a conversation. Ernie kind of wanders campus. He finds his way to the stadium, and while touring the stadium, he finds this display featuring Jim Brown, and right next to it, one of all the Heisman Trophy winners. So Coach uh, Schwartzwalder comes out of his office, sees Ernie looking at the display and says, if you're looking for the guy from Syracuse, there's not one up there. We've never had a Heisman Trophy winner. So Ernie's like, well, you know what? There ain't no harm in dreaming. And I think we really see the coach's character here where he's just like, not about winning trophies it's about winning games uh the next day of practice coach i I love to see a coach who is old school you know and this was old school coaching uh just verbally beating down these players uh the team introduces themselves to ernie in little snippets um the coach decides you know what we're going to move davis to varsity despite the fact he's completely ineligible to play. Because, of course, at that time, a freshman could not play uh, in varsity athletics. Correct. So our our, uh, assistant coach tries to say, hey, you know what, what's the point? (laughs) And Coach uh, Schwartzwalder just says, I want him to be ready to go when he can play. Two, he's going to be the best running back these guys face all year. And three, because I said so, I love <laughs> it. So, he moves Davis over to varsity. Yay. And then at the next practice, Davis makes a huge mistake. He lets the coach see him smiling at a white cheerleader. Coach, of course, calls him into the office to discuss knowing his place on the field and off. Of course, after they uh, get out of their meeting, J.B. tells Ernie, hey, don't don't worry about it. It's the white girl speech, and all the black players get it. But the good news is, Coach likes winning just a little bit more than he dislikes Negroes, (laughs) was the line that uh, J.B. put out there. Uh, You know, after his talk with J.B., Uh, Ernie sees this beautiful young black woman walking across campus. Just kind of becomes mesmerized a little bit. Well, he shows up for varsity practice the next day and he finds out he's been given Jim Brown's number. Davis is uncomfortable with this. you know. The other guys on the team, uh, specifically uh, Lundy, the linebacker, is giving him a lot of crap about it, about not earning it yet. Uh, he goes to confront the coaches about this. And the coach just says, listen, I didn't make a mistake. That's your number. But during practice, Ernie just absolutely shows up everybody, especially Lundy. And Lundy cheap shots him after the whistle. On defense, Ernie reti- decides to return the favor. Uh, the two end up wrestling around a bit on the ground. The coach rips Davis, uh, you know, for for... Taking that liberty, but at the same time, it's like nice block. So, after practice, we jump to a team dance where Ernie and JB meet Gloria and Sarah. Uh, they immediately mistake them, uh, mistake the football players for waiters, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was great. Yeah, uh, you know, Sarah was the girl uh, Ernie had seen walking across campus. She becomes his love interest, of course. Um, after the dance, we kind of jump right into what is the season which Ernie can't play. And they come out, and right out of the gate, they lose to a much lesser Holy Cross team. Yeah. Now,
2: which is like Notre Dame light, you know?
1: And it is. Actually, it's, it's right there near the Notre Dame campus. And, uh, yeah. It is uh, pretty pretty humiliating to suffer that kind of loss as a big-time college football school. So, despite his not, his ineligibility to play, Ernie shows up to the impromptu midnight practice with the rest of the varsity team and goes through the punishment practice. After that, we jump forward to the start of the 1959 season they face Kansas. Ernie really has a tough first quarter in his first game where he's eligible to play. In the second quarter, man, he explodes. He starts it out with a huge block. Then on the second eight, breaks down. He breaks off a huge run for a touchdown. You know, after the big win, Ernie goes back to Pennsylvania for a family visit, and Ernie finds his cousin Will, who has really become a very Angry young uh, man by this point uh, Due to all the the racial Inequity of the time And he also finds That Will And Pops are a bit at odds as well Uh, Will takes Ernie to an uh, NAACP Rally, tries to convince Ernie to join the group In their march on Washington Ernie says Listen, I'm a scholarship athlete I can't run the risk of losing that Will then tries to convince them that he has obligations to the black community, that he needs to use his voice as a role model and a leader, because people see him on the news, they see him in the paper, and they look up to him. Afterwards, we get into the game prep again, and we find the coaches looking at game footage and talking about how their game plan worked in week one, but you know what? The coaches that they're facing in week two, they saw that game plan. So we have now completely, he's going to change the offense completely around, gear it completely towards Ernie, and the offense just absolutely explodes. Penn State, Boston College, Holy Cross, they just roll over everybody. well. After this winning streak, the guys are out on a double date with, with their young lady. Sarah's reading an article in Time magazine about Ernie when they're approached by the athletic director who informs him that his grandfather's passed away. After the funeral, he returns to the family home and finds his way into, into the room where he finds all of his old clippings, his trophy, and his picture of Jackie Robinson still hanging up there on the wall. And you get this sense that he's starting to feel that obligation, that anger to kind of break some barriers of his own. He goes back to campus, has this emotionally charged workout, and then absolutely breaks down. Well, Syracuse is going on the road to play West Virginia for the next game. Before the game, Ernie and Lundy get into a bit of a fight because Lundy's disrespecting one of the team assistants, and then he proceeds to basically tell Ernie to go shine his shoes. Uh, as they enter the stadium, you have—I well, I, I almost don't want to say it, Eric—but you got a bunch of racist rednecks of West Virginia. They just begin pelting the Syracuse team with bottles. On the field, the West Virginia team's taking cheap shots after every play. Coach pulls Ernie. He's afraid that Ernie is going to end up causing a race riot if he scores. Of course, Ernie gets back in the game. And what does he do? He goes in and he scores. He shows up the coach. Uh, you know, the two get into a verbal altercation on the sideline. He ends up benching Davis for the rest of the game. Ernie develops a bloody nose in the locker room after the game, but you start seeing a little bit of an attitude change by some of his players as Lundy, who's given him a hard time since he got there, comes in to check on him and tells him what a great game he had. Ernie, of course, after the game apologizes to the coach on the bus, but at the same time says, I apologize, but... I, I'm kind of challenging you to step up, be more supportive of your black players. Well, after this game, Syracuse keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. They improved to an undefeated season. They're ranked number one in the country. They're invited to two bowl games, Eric. The Orange Bowl, where they'll face number nine, Georgia. And the Cotton Bowl, where they can face number two, Texas. They can win either game and be the national champions, but they choose to face Texas. So they have to travel by bus to go play Texas in their own backyard. During this scene, you get to see them driving through the south. You see the oppression. They do a great job of mixing some clips in here of of Martin Luther King, of mm-hmm. uh of the the governor of Arkansas during the the press conference when they announced the uh Brown versus the Board of Education decision where they're going to integrate the the schools. Um, I really love the way they kind of mix those real clips in with the movie. Um, They get to Texas. They're met by media, racist protesters. The team hotel doesn't allow blacks in the building. Uh, The team's receiving death threats. Despite all that, they are still there to play. However, they hit a snag because in practice, Ernie injures his hamstring. So, right before the game's set to start, you're you going to see a little bit. And I, I know all coaches do this, but you know there's, there's some evil intent there with this Texas coach who goes up and informs his players, hey, Davis has an injured hamstring. So. On the first play from scrimmage, Ernie gets the ball, goes down after, he gets a a modest run, and they just start beating the snot out of his his hamstring. Flag comes out, but it was an offensive holding call. Next play, Ernie breaks off this huge run down to the Texas three, but is somewhat injured. He's winded. He's laying on the ground for a while. takes him a little while to get up. They go in, score on the next play, Syracuse then goes out, scores again, takes a two-score lead, and the Texas coach just tells his players, hey, listen, you guys are an embarrassment. So they go out, the, Syrac- the Syracuse defense comes out, gets another takeaway, and Eric, th- this Line that was in the movie, I just absolutely love, because you got the Texas defender trash talking, and one of the offensive linemen, you know, from from Syracuse, says something, and he goes, "You defending this, Edward? How, how are you gonna call yourself a white Christian?" <laughs> he looks down the line and says, "I'm Jewish."
2: yeah well that I, love that, that I love the line that um <clears throat> is delivered delivered by omar uh to when oh, he's on the line of scrimmage. Well, oh i'm
1: from philadelphia yeah
2: he's like i'm gonna send your black ass back to africa and he goes oh yeah well i'm from philadelphia, philadelphia.
1: <laughs> <It's> like, yeah <laughs> they really great i'll tell you they did do a great job with the trash talk in the in the trenches there uh-huh. uh of course, on the next play, Ernie goes running through, gets tackled. Afterwards, cheap-shotted, which sparks the the fight, the bench-clearing brawl, which you had mentioned at the uh, beginning. Maybe some liberties were taken there. Uh, at the half, the coach comes to Ernie and says, Listen, I'm going to sit you down for the rest of the game. We got a 15-point lead. Let us take it from here. You just rest that hamstring. He then delivered. Dennis Quaid does a great job of delivering good emotional speeches. Mm -hmm. And he did a a good job with this halftime speech as well. So we go back out after the half. Texas comes out, scores immediately, cuts the lead 50 to 6. Texas gets a turnover goes on, scores again, cuts it to 15-14. So then Jim Brown comes into the locker room and has a talk with Ernie between the third and fourth quarters. Ernie goes to the coach and just implores him to let him get back out there. On Ernie's first run with the ball, Ball stripped after he's down, but the refs go ahead and call it a fumble. So, Ernie out there on defense, because that's the other thing we used to do was play both, both sides ways. of the ball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ernie gets out there on defense, intercepts a pass to give Syracuse the ball back. And on the next play, Ernie scores on an 87-yard catch a halfback pass that puts Syracuse up 22 to 14 with eight seconds left. See on the game for them. They do go out. Texas gets a desperation pass broken up. Syracuse wins their first national title. Ernie Davis wins the Cotton Bowl MVP. You know what, though? They're going to do the trophy presentation at the Oak Hills Country Club, which does not allow black uh, black people in the club, and in what I think is just a great sh- you know show of team, the players refused to attend the trophy ceremony and instead choose to go to a hop and barbecue joint, man. Mm-hmm. So after that. Uh, that that's pretty much the second portion of the movie. You might include what happens shortly after, um, which is well. Let me tell you what we're going to jump, jump into that part next, Eric. Yeah. So up to this point, what did you think of the way the season played out, how the characters progressed, and really how everything was portrayed?
2: Um, I thought they did a very good job progressing the characters. Um I I really enjoyed the relationship that Ernie was uh Ernie had with Sarah. I thought that they developed that very well um and plays a very integral part in the end of this film. So which it yes. which wouldn't have if they didn't develop them properly. So I thought they did a very very good job with that. I also thought that they did a good job with the internal struggle that Dennis Quaid's character had, Coach Ben. Yes. Um and I, I thought that I thought that bringing him along, along with the white players um, by the end, uh, how that they had become a team and they were kind of colorblind to one another. I thought that was was great when you couple in the racial uh, discrimination and, and and just terrible uh, nature of, of some of these southern all white teams were showing Syracuse with their black players. So uh, very interesting how that uh, they did that. And I thought that they they did that very well. Um, as, as far as the football action is concerned, I thought that it, it that was the side story here that this was yeah. really about the development of the characters in the time period and and just kind of being the Jackie Robinson of, of college football in, in a lot of ways is what Ernie Davis was doing, which is why that they uh, made uh, Jackie Robinson's kind of oh, character Jackie Robinson kind of an idol for this Ernie Davis character. So I thought all of that was really good, but I, I'll tell you for me. This movie, the last third, how this movie finishes is what makes it very good.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I really love not only the, the growth of Quaid, but of Lundy, uh, the, the linebacker he'd had all right. the problems with all along. Especially at the end there where he's like, so I hear these guys have some good barbecue down here. You know, he, he's the one that actually suggests boycotting the the trophy presentation. Right. I thought that was just great. Um, the movie did run long in, in this part. Uh, I felt it did drag at times. But let me tell you, I think at times it almost had to to tell this story.
2: Well, the subject matter was heavy. And when you have a yes. heavy... When you have a heavier subject matter, the the slower pace of storytelling brings it along at at a more acceptable rate or at a rate in which you can swallow it better as a viewer.
1: Yes, I agree. So, Eric, you mentioned it. The closing of this movie is absolutely what makes this movie as great as it is. So let's dive into that a little bit. So they've won the national championship. We jump to a scene two years later at Syracuse where Ernie Davis is selected as a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Ernie, uh, I'll tell you, it was the expressions on his face when he actually won were were priceless. Uh, the, The actor did such a good job of portraying what was genuine surprise. Mm -hmm. Because to this point, no African-American had ever won that award. Uh, And then after the presentation, after the ceremony, he gets congratulated by JFK, which I thought was just amazing. Um, Of course, after this, everybody wants Ernie, except, of course, for the head coach of the Washington Redskins who had the number one draft pick. So what do they do? They trade it to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Ernie's drafted number one by the Cleveland Browns. Uh, You know, we see him going through the the press day, much as we saw with Jim Brown at the beginning. Uh, After that, we get to see Ernie getting a little little quality time there with, with Sarah. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, he gets another nosebleed. So she's trying to ask him how he's doing. And it's not he just he jumps up. I got to get to practice. Practice starts in a half hour. During the All-American game practice, he is just kind of sluggish, uncoordinated. And eventually we see him basically pass out. He collapses. Um goes to the hospital gets cleared. we assume, and we see him move on to training camp with the browns uh, during training camp. Art Model comes up to him and tells him, You know, Ernie, after speaking with the doctors we we can't clear you to practice, we can't clear you to play. you know Ernie's obviously distraught, wants to know what's wrong with him, wants to know when he can get on the field. And Modell basically tells him, you know what, it's not going to happen this year. Uh, we jump forward to the the dinner scene where he's out with Sarah and finds out that Sarah has been offered this tremendous teaching job in Oakland. And he tells her to take it. She can instantly see what he's doing. She, he's pushing her away and she asks him you know how sick are you of course at this point they're they're interrupted by a fan seeking a autograph uh he gives the autograph and we never get to see how that conversation ends um, but we do move forward to a press conference where he reveals that he has leukemia uh you know, is he's crushed. You can tell he's crushed. But the coach comes. He's he's there to support him. Um, which I think brings Dennis Quaid's character, the coach, really full circle, or not really full circle, to the complete one eighty. It, it brings him to that likable point. <laughs> uh, but. The coach also asks his help in, recru- in recruiting Floyd Little. Uh, so he goes, he, he and this is what you had kind of foreshadowed earlier. We see the exact same kind of interaction that he had previously with Jim Brown, uh, where he gets his help recruiting. Um, and, and we see the same type of speeches between the, the players between uh between Davis and Little that we saw with Brown and Davis. And at the end of the movie you get kind of that same the the same vibe as he's telling telling Little, you know, it's gonna be difficult. Life is gonna be hard on you. Don't worry about you know being where I'm at. He says, I'm never going to play another down of football. Don't be where I'm at. Be better than me. So the movie kind of closes out. We find out that, and and they let Little, I'm sorry, they let Davis suit up one time to go on the field for the Cleveland Browns just so he can have his moment. And, again, great interaction with his college coach here. Great interaction with the players, the fans. Uh, And then we find out that, you know, basically, less than a year later, without ever playing a down for the the Cleveland Browns, Ernie died. And though he never played a single down, they retired his number 45 jersey. you know, that last portion, it may not have a lot of quantity to the time of it, but the emotion of that section is just so real and just so powerful that it, it does. It really makes the movie. Your thoughts?
2: It totally does. And um, I, I did foreshadow that how that he comes back and helps recruit the next uh, great African American running back for the uh, Syracuse University, and I just feel that this movie has a lot of symmetry to it. It, it comes full circle very, very well, uh, which again I think is a part of the writing here. Um, as a sports movie, it, it you know there. Some of the best sports movie has racial tension in it. Remember the Titans, our number one movie in all on you know, but it it but that's not the entire story of Remember the Titans. That is a part of the story, but the actual team is the story. Here it's the player, it's Ernie. He is the story. It's his life. It's an it's a biopic movie. And yeah. It just doesn't have the same aspect as Remember Titans because we all can relate to an aspect or a character in Remember the Titans. We all cannot do that in this film, which is why I think it doesn't strike all the same chords. Um, To me, this movie reminds me of the movie 42, the Jackie Robinson movie. Yeah. Yeah. Just on a football field, in a college football um, way, Uh, or the Disney film about the uh, all-black African American basketball team from uh, Texas or North Texas or whatever it was. Um, Yeah, I forget the name of that film, but it's it's similar in that vein. And all all of those movies are good movies. They're just not great sports movies, and I think that's where I'm
1: at with this one. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think it was. It was really good, um, but it, you know, it, it is not "Remember the Titans." Um, it, it is more like you said; it's geared at the at the player as opposed to the team. It's it's his reactions to the the, the racial tensions as opposed to seeing the impact of the racial tensions on, I guess, more of a whole scale. Um, but again, I think it was, I thought it was a very good movie. Definitely, as I said, slow in the middle, but it needed to be. Um, so for me, you know, is it a top 10 movie for me? Absolutely not. But you know what? I got a question, Eric. Where does it rank for us?
2: Let's find out, shall we? Okay, The Express from 2008. First up, Slapshot from
1: 1977. Oh, wow. These are two uh, just so different. Polar I, I
2: think I want to go with Slap Shot at this moment.
1: Y- you know what? I, I'm going to flip you for this one, Eric. I'm going to go okay. with The Express here.
2: And you went with Heads at the beginning of the show, so... Yes, sir. Heads it is. Heads with the win. The Express will move on. Next up. Movie we just added, both of these from 2008, The Wrestler against The Express.
1: Yeah, i got to go with The Wrestler here. Me as well.
2: All right, from 1992, The Mighty Ducks.
1: Yeah, i got to be some Mighty Ducks.
2: I'm going to take The Mighty Ducks here.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to as well. Uh, from
2: 1986, Wildcats.
1: Oh, wow. Wildcats, huh? You guys want my personal favorites, Eric.
2: I know. My wife's favorite.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm i going to take the Express here.
2: Let's flip for it. Oh, heads it is. Laying on my keyboard. The Express will move on over the Wildcats and now go up against, from 1996, Jerry Maguire. Uh, you know think, show me the this. money.
1: I, I, have, I think I'm gonna have to take Jerry Maguire in this one.
2: Oh, you flipped, did you? Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, I, I know which way you're going here. From 1993, Cool Runnings.
1: Oh, Cool Runnings all the way.
2: All day long. Yes. Oh, wow, this is interesting. From 2015, The Bronze. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I love the bronze. Isn't I'm going with great? the
2: Express, man. I'm going
1: go with the Express, but the bronze is a great kind of raunchy color.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah. All right, so the Express now lands number 43 on our flick chart, and we now have 101 movies ranked, 101 sports movies ranked, and the Express is in the top half of that. I, I kind of feel like that's probably pretty good.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, and – uh you know what? I don't know. It stays a top 50 as we go on. But you know what? Uh, I think for where we're at right now, it's probably a very solid place. Yeah.
2: Let's look at forty three fifty 50 Number 40, The Legend of Bagger Vance. Number 41, Jerry Maguire. 42, Cool Runnings. 43, The Express. 44, The Bronze. 45, Wildcats. 46, Creed. 47, Leatherheads. 48, The Natural. 49, Blue Chips. 50, The Bad News Bears.
1: Well, there's a few that I just feel should be higher in there. There's a few that I maybe feel don't need to be that high, but I'm sure it'll all work itself out in the end.
2: Uh, Right off the bat, I would say cool runnings probably should be higher than 40.
1: I agree. Uh, you
2: know, mm, Creed,
1: uh, I'm wanting to say should probably be a little higher.
2: Creed. Than what about the natural? The natural's so slow in the middle though.
1: It is. It really, it's, does.
2: it's considered a classic, you know, I think that's why it kind of, it, it landed where it did for us. I mean, it's hard to go against a movie that's ranked so highly, both in flick chart and in, in the mind of moviegoers that aren't just sports fans. Um, but Yeah, I I think I think 43 is a really good spot for the Express, in all honesty.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. But you know what? That definitely could go up or down with uh, our movie selections from next or for next week. So, uh, Eric, why don't you tell us what we're going to be watching next week?
2: So we're going to watch a movie that's already been ranked in our flick chart and it's one we need to dive into. We've talked about it at Ad Nauseam last year if you listen to the OHIO podcast because it went all the way to the final four. It's the most popular boxing movie of all time, Sylvester Stallone from the 70s, Rocky. We're going to go back and review the original Rocky, and one of the reasons why is because Rocky too, I have a feeling, we, Chris and I both think, is going to make a run in this tournament, and we want to make sure we review Rocky first, so – there you have it. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and you know, Eric, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, it, for me, I, you know, we've discussed this before. You actually prefer Rocky 2 I as, do, as I recall. And, and I am that Rocky purist who uh, firmly is, is entrenched with the original Rocky as as the best. You are,
2: you are. But, so you this know, is going to be extremely interesting because. I don't know that we have reviewed a movie that re- could really we could really say could challenge our champion. We've not seen a movie climb up all the way to challenge number one, Remember the Titans. Rocky has a chance, Chris.
1: That was, if I recall, that was the semifinal matchup uh, last year. Was it might it have been, yeah. I think we had Rocky versus Remember the Titans on one half of the bracket so
2: yeah you know what i while you're talking i'll look that up real fast if you give me just one minute but go for it um um we can uh discuss a little bit of what uh, we're going to be doing here in the next few weeks as far as movies are concerned or whatnot and maybe just give me a quick synopsis of why you love rocky over rocky too since you say you're a rocky purist how about
1: that well i absolutely i absolutely am a purist i think that uh You know, oftentimes, first of all, I love the introduction of the characters, the development of the characters. Um, And I think that the fight scene is so much better in the original than it is in the second one. I really Mm, do. I love the way it ends. Uh, I I love at the end of the the fight, the whole concept of don't want to. you you ain't getting a rematch. He goes, that's okay. I don't want one. Uh, You know, the dynamic I think is, I think there's a greater dynamic between. uh, Burgess Meredith and Stallone in the first one. I think it almost feels forced at times in the second one. uh, You know, because they're at odds about whether or not he's going to fight again. Um, Yeah. I I, I don't know. I just, for me, I, I love the first one. Uh, And don't get me wrong, I'm very fond of the second one as well. Uh, But like great movies such as The Empire Strikes Back, you know, sometimes you have to end on a down note. And, and, you know, Rocky (laughs) not winning the title is a bit of a down note in that first one.
2: So you are correct. Rocky faced Remember the Titans in the Final Four, and it was Sandlot and Hoosiers on the other side of the bracket. The fans voted 32-18 to for Remember the Titans over Rocky. And then the Sandlot beat Hoosiers 26-14 to take on Remember the Titans. So it was Remember the Titans and the Sandlot. Um, All four of these movies are in our top ten. Remember the Titans is one. Sandlot is actually nine. Hoosiers is three. And uh, Rocky is four. Rudy is up at number two. As you recall, I got really lucky on the flipping with Rudy. Um, So... Yeah, and to just go over our top ten again real fast, uh, you've got uh, Remember the Titans 1, Rudy 2, Hoosiers 3, Rocky 4, Field of Dreams 5, Caddyshack 6, Eddie the Eagle 7, Moneyball 8, Sandlot 9, Karate Kid 10.
1: I can't be mad with any of those. I know. i I mean
2: the only one on there that people would be like what is eddie the eagle at seven and i'm telling you you, people, watch it it.
1: yes tremendous tremendous film so uh yeah i'm really looking forward to next week looking forward to talking about uh rocky a little bit rehashing that maybe i'd get bumped up a few spots there uh as you recall i think i may have been the uh the only person in the world who might have been considering Rocky over a member of the Titans uh, last year when we did that. So.
2: Yeah. Well, you weren't alone, though. It was, uh, like I said, 32 to 18. So yeah. you weren't alone on that.
1: All right. Well, that does it for today's show. Remember to please rank and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast. Also, make sure you follow us on Facebook, or on Facebook at facebook.com. And until next time... See you at the field, on the court, and at the theater. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.